thank you for joining us this week for the Inner Circle podcast. Uh, I have as my guest, Scott Shefferman from Silence. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining me, Scott. And can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, I think you've actually had one of my favorite mentors of all time, Malcolm Harkins, on this show before uh, speaking on behalf of Silence. So it's uh, quite an honor for me to, to be on the same show and I appreciate the time. Um, I'm a senior director of global services for Silence. As uh, many folks know, we also have a consulting arm, if you will, of, of Silence that composes a strong portion of, of, of how we go to market and how we uh, do great things for customers. Um, but I also do a ton of things on the product side. Uh, and part of the, what I do in that role is um, a bit of research and messaging around what we've achieved with the predictive AI that we have. And that's kind of led us to this discussion, which is about predictive advantage. Okay. So, all right. So you, you, you intro the topic. So we're going to talk about predictive advantage and, and, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I mean, whenever there's been like a, 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 a big outbreak, um, uh, the, the, the one that stands out most to me from recent past is uh, WannaCry. Um, I always find it very interesting to go look and see, you know, the comparison of the, you know, traditional uh, antivirus, uh, anti-malware solutions, kind of scrambling to, f you know, find samples that they can build a signature off of, and what that delta is between, you know, okay, we know there's a threat, and okay, now you have a signature that can protect you against this threat, and then I go over and I look at Silence and see that, you know, even if you had, even if you if you had installed Silence, uh, you know, a year ago, two years ago, and taken it offline and never updated it again. It would have predicted. It would have stopped the threat, um, and you know. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's kind of a, at the heart of what we're talking about with predictive advantage. No, that I, I don't think I could have articulated it any better myself. Uh, <laughs> so that's per absolutely perfectly said. Uh, so so I'll take maybe we can take a quick step back before we go forward, right? So um, you, you know, predictive advantage is two words: predictive and advantage, and we can talk about each of those and and why why they both are important in, in the concept here. Um, but to take a, like a quick step back, it's it, you know, quite literally, what is a predictive advantage? Well, it's also meant to be a metric actually for the industry over time. So what I mean by that is you know, the, the industry like you articulated is generally responsive uh, by coming up with signatures after the fact, after you have, let's say a patient zero, uh, some people call that a sacrificial lamb. Some organization gets hit with something like you said, one or cry, and you got to create that signature. So that's that's a that creates a time lag, and that time lag, as time moves from left to right, if you will, is always present. It's ever present. So in any given Sunday, so to speak, you're always exposed to this unknown threat that's just about to hit. Um, and so what predictive advantage is is a metric, uh, and it's measured in simply number of days uh, or months that that in predictive AI was able to anticipate or predict that payload or that virus or that portable executable file that's trying to execute. Um, and so we can actually measure that um, and prove that out if that makes sense and know how healthy our predictive algorithms are uh, by using, like you said, an old product to, to measure today's malware. So if I take a product from October uh, 14th of 2015, two and a half years ago plus, uh, and I run that against, let's say, every piece of ransomware from 2017, which is something I did just before RSA for kind of uh, giggles, um, it, we were an average of 753 days as a metric 
in front of, on average, every single piece of ransomware that hit in 2017 and caused the world a lot of pain. And that includes WannaCry and not catching the big ones that hit. So um, it's, it's a it's a it's a metric, and I think the industry needs that in an era of predictive AI because otherwise we don't know if we're getting better as an industry and as defenders uh, against the bad guys. And if we start to see that metric decrease and the window gets shrunk, then we start to say, hey, we need we have a big problem here. The threat scale is evolving too fast for predictive AI. Conversely, what we, and what we've seen is that that actually metric gets longer over time, um, and so the predictive advantage it becomes a bigger number. And uh, and that keys in on things like what we mean by the word advantage, which we can tabletop for now. But yeah, so the short version is you're absolutely correct. That's exactly uh, what we what we intend to measure is is these number of days ahead of the threat that we are. So, um, what happens then? You know, you talked about how you know, you, you go and you measure. You, you, you take a, an out of date product, you measure it against today's threats, and, and try to see what that what that predictive advantage timeline is, how many days, how many months, whatever. If you did start to see it get shorter or substantially shorter, what could you do? Like, what, is, there, is there something you would do to try to tweak the machine learning or the, uh, the AI behind it to try to get that trending back in the right direction? Well, yeah, and, and so huh, that, that's a, it's, that question can be answered in a number of different ways. And unfortunately, I'm not a data scientist. So from, from a data science perspective, there's a ton of things that our team do um, day in and day out to stay ahead of the threat all the time. Um, and so, and those things have nothing, nothing necessarily to do with whether or not you've predicted by X number of days. Um, they have more to do with um, doing things like creating centroids for, let's say, a brand new kind of classification of malware that's maybe programmed in a, a weird language like Lua or Go, uh, something that you don't normally see uh, in the wild. And now we're starting to see this new trending. And so we'll maybe create a centroid, which you can think of it like a center of gravity um, against that mathematical plane by which we are deciding whether or not something is good or bad. Um, ultimately, that's what we're trying to predict, right? Is, is this portable executable a good thing or a bad thing? Do I want to let it execute or not? So it's a very binary decision we have to come to, but we still need a lot of confidence around that decision to allow for that autonomous decision to, decision to be made on, you know, 10 million endpoints around the world. That's a, it's a heavy responsibility, if you will, for a simple algorithm. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, so one of the things that uh, I I probably tell the story every time I talk to someone from Silence, but uh, I know Malcolm and I talked about it, is that uh, you know back before Silence, Stuart, Stuart and I had a conversation um, where uh, I had been dealing with a situation where uh, my mother-in-law, uh, bless her heart, uh, gets every you know virus that was out there, like just constantly yeah. was infected, and. Yeah. You know, and she was running, you know, whatever, Semantic, McAfee, you name it. She probably had two or three different anti antivirus solutions in there at once, just trying to trying to stay ahead of this the, the curve, um, and yet would always get infected. Meanwhile, I wasn't running anything a lot of the times. So, I mean, I, you know, sometimes I would be running stuff if I was like testing it for review purposes or, or kind of playing around with it. But as a rule, I wasn't really running any antivirus software, and sure. and I wasn't getting <laughs> infected. And, and so that, you know, it, that kind of piqued my curiosity. And so I went to Stuart and some other people I knew in the security industry, and I was like, well, what do you run? And he said, well, I don't run anything. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> okay, well, I'm noticing a trend here. Like, why is it that we as the security people 
uh, are not running antivirus software pretty much as a rule, uh, and yet we're not getting infected. And you know, and, and as we kind of like dug into that conversation, it was like it's because you know we just know enough. You know, I mean, I, I know not to open the attachment. I know not to click the link. I know how to recognize a you know legitimate URL versus a suspicious URL. And so there's a lot of things that I take for granted that I just know that help me that help me avoid those threats. And and you know what we had talked about and what what I feel like silence has has you know. Be become it was kind of the genesis of, of what silence has become is an AI that can emulate the way I would do it or the way Stuart would do it or the way you would do it so that my mother-in-law can install install that on her computer and basically have an AI version of me sitting there to help avoid those threats mm. yeah because yeah. ultimately I mean I'm not I'm not reacting uh, to the latest trend or whatever you know like i'm not waiting for, for a signature like if a brand new threat came out right now there's still a fair likelihood i would avoid it just because of the behavior that i you know the the, the, the my my normal behavior um would most likely avoid it um and i feel like that's what the ai does is the ai the ai lets lets someone who's not a security expert basically have a security expert in their computer I, I I absolutely love that description, and um, and I love I I've heard the same story from Stuart himself a few times. You know, not having run an antivirus, uh, and I think we as security professionals um, almost also enjoy the, enjoy the risks sometimes of running without antivirus. I hate to say it, maybe that's just me, but um, like understanding this space, you put some human intelligence is what you basically described there. Uh, human intelligence at the problem, and you can actually solve for the problem and, and adjust your behavior and refrain from uh, you know, getting spearfished, et cetera. Um, what silence have achieved is for me, uh, actually, honestly, a combination of both things, what you might call a combination of human intelligence uh, applied, you know, expertise applied, um, uh, and also machine intelligence. And the, the human intelligence would take the form of like how we might originally have seeded what we're setting out to do, which is looking at a file and understanding the features of that file that would uh, are likely to be associated with a malicious file or malware. Um, you know, there's a hundred different ways to do sleep timers uh, on, on a piece of malware if you're a malware author. And human intelligence understands those hundred plus different ways. As a malware analyst, you might look at those as just one small example of knowing that something is suspicious or probably malware. Um, there's there's maybe a thousand. Let's say, let's say there's a thousand things that humans know how to do as an entire species when it comes to looking at software to know that it is bad. Um, and three of them you mentioned, which is like, should I click on this based on pretext of how this email came in? Is this domain look like it's malicious or you know recently uh, stood up and quickly expired afterwards? Um, there's different things that you, know, you and I, like you said, as humans do. But beyond that, what Silence have also achieved is, is uh, uh, the unsupervised and uh, non-human intelligence aspect of doing this, this, this model crunch. Um, so to do that, it's actually really, really hard. You, you know, you, math is kind of hard and it's also a lot of work. Uh, and one way to kind of articulate that work is to say, okay, when we crunch this model once or twice a year, we're spinning up tens of thousands of CPU cores to do that. I think we're in the top 10 or 100, I think it's actually the top 10 of the most heat intensive um, AWS customers that Amazon have when we crunch our model. 
Um, and so we fire up all these cores and we're taking billions of files and extracting millions of features across billions of files, as well as absences of those features and various combinations of those features. And via this kind of, this aspect of the AI, we're able to determine what the, the, the kind of gravity is, uh, gravitas, if you will, of, of what makes a file malicious or not. And in ways that humans may not have language for ever. <laughs> you know, that you and I will never be able to sit across from each other over beer and say, well, the reason why I think this file is malicious is because of X. Right. So there's, there's an aspect of, of what we've achieved as well, especially in the later, um, uh, the, you know, as we've evolved over the last six years of doing this or whatever it's been, um, you know, the model has definitely acquired additional, tri additional tricks, if you will, in AI. In fact, DARPA describes this as one of the only second wave AIs out there that um, the human race has that's, that's proven so effective to this, you know, 99th percentile of, of efficacy. That's really hard to achieve with a second wave AI. Um, and, and we've achieved it. So it's, it's, a, it's a great story from a data science perspective, but it's also, like you said, for, for people like your mother and myself, you know, God bless them all. Um, uh, you know, it allows us to kind of operate our computer without having to think about virus updates and, uh, and just get work done instead. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, and, and I remember, so, so, you know, before we started the, the podcast, you and I were talking about our, our past and I used to be at EDS. And when I was at EDS, I was on a team that did, uh, we, we basically created the managed antivirus at, at EDS. And so we were doing antivirus. Um, we had a small team of people, but we were managing antivirus for General Motors and American Airlines and Marathon Oil and, you know, all these companies around the world. Mm. Um, and, and I remember, you know, like, you know, we had to deal with the signature updates and, and, and all of that. But then you also had the idea of heuristics, you know, like all of all of the antivirus, anti-malware products claim to have some sort of heuristic detection that's going to, you know, help identify and block those threats that they don't have signatures for. But yes. Uh, you know, but that's like, I mean, it's so rudimentary compared to the actual, you know, machine learning and AI that, that silence is using and that we're seeing today, um, be, you know, cause like the heuristics never seem to really work. Right. So we, and this is actually a common misperception in the industry in general, certainly that we've run up against all the time. A lot of people say, oh yeah, you guys are the AI company that, uh, watches what a file does and knows that it's bad using machine learning. And I'm, I'm like, no, 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 put on the brakes, stop, slow down, because that's not what we've achieved. We've actually achieved a static analysis of a file before it executes um, based on zeros and ones, if you will, to know whether or not it's malicious, which is actually a much harder problem to achieve. And it's actually a better uh, outcome because you don't have to wait to let something detonate and go off, if you will, whether it's in a virtual sandbox or on steel or not, it doesn't matter. You don't want to let something detonate to, and watch what it does to know that it's bad. That's still what we call a signature. Um, even your best heuristics uh, ever written is still a, basically a, effectively a rules-based kind of, or signature-based kind of trigger. If I see this and it does this to this, then I know it's probably bad. Um, but it's very simplistic like that. It's not a very deep, it's not like you're going through a neural network of like you know, 30 gates of, well, of a bunch of variables in order to know whether or not something is bad based on its behavior. Um, that's actually something we're, we're doing now with a product called Optics, which is much more focused on post-execution, um, things that happen on the endpoint after you click on it and it gets by your antivirus, right? So 
Um, that's that's a product called Optics, and it also is going to be leveraging a lot of very awesome um, math, for lack of better words, to solve things like lateral movement and privilege escalation, and even your own identity as a human being. It will know without a, with a high confidence whether or not um, you are actually John Doe, or if you switched over to Sally. Even though John Doe authenticated 15 minutes ago, and Sally stepped up to the keyboard our AI will detect immediately that that's not the same human being, not the same identity. And that applies not just to humans, but also to process and process, processes and process anomalies that we see. Um, it's easy to identify a process has an anomaly over time after you've baselined it, but do you know that it's a malicious anomaly or just an anomaly? And so that's where additional context has to come into play uh, and, and you see other things that are happening in the endpoint, you put them all together and now you say something malicious has definitely happened to this identity or this process. Okay, that's that's all that's all cool, um, you know. And so to talk about optics real quick, um, you know, there there are, like you pointed out, there there are a couple other uh, vendors out there that haven't they have an approach of sort of, you know, I'm going to let this thing execute, but I'm going to basically tag it with a tracker, you know, and 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 you know and five minutes from now or five days from now, if we determine that it was malicious, at least now I can rewind and I can tell you everywhere that it went and all, all the things that it did. And we can, you know, at least then you have a sort of a forensic map of the, 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 the path of destruction. <laughs> but yeah, well said. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's, um, you know, but that is, like you say, is nowhere near as uh, valuable or as effective as identifying that it's malicious and stopping it in the first place. Um, but, you know, but it sounds from what you're saying is that, you know, silence, you know, if you got silence protect, you're, 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 you know, hopefully going to identify and stop it in the first place. But now we're going to add on optics for that, you know, 1% or 0.1% that might, you know, somehow get through and, and be able to be able to also monitor, okay, what's going on with this lateral movement and what's going on with, you know, why, why is there suspicious stuff going on behind the scenes? Uh, yeah. So again, so well articulated. It's almost like you've done this before. <laughs> so um, that actually uh, you know, sets me up extremely well to kind of um, talk about what we've achieved with optics that's different than what other uh, quote unquote EDR vendors have achieved. Um, and you described perfectly what they've already achieved, kind of the traditional or legacy way of doing EDR. Um, what, what the goal of optics, if you think about it um, very succinctly, it's still a prevention story. It's not a detect and respond story. Meaning if you look at the cyber kill chain, you know, the steps that an attacker takes left to right, if you will, uh, in order in order to compromise an, a host or, or an environment, um, you know, silence protect the antivirus portion, the static, you know, predictive AI that we have sits kind of in the middle, right at the execution phase where so you've clicked on the on the uh, on the link and, and the executable and the payload and we're preventing it from executing. But what happens if something does execute or what happens if you have a malicious insider with an identity that's doing weird things that are anomalous and malicious? Um, or what happens if you have, um, um, you know, a supply chain threat the malware that was on the system before you ever installed silence and may, maybe becomes activated off the steel or something like C cleaner, uh, where you have an antivirus or Kaspersky, they say, but uh, you know, no, no comment there. But I just mean, you know, th there's different vectors onto a, an endpoint other than just spear phishing, right? So, Optics is designed to say, okay, regardless of how it got there, regardless of whether or not um, your antivirus or our predictive AI stopped it or not from executing, um, there's going to be a, a subsequent set of, of, of events that happen on that kill chain, lateral movements, privilege escalation, um, living off the land attacks that you hear about, PowerShell one-liners that you hear about, 
um, compromised user accounts that we deal with when we're doing incident response on the services side, all these things that happen. And that's actually the crux of the whole security problem. I mean, that's where most of us live as analysts and day in and day out um, in a SOC or doing incident response or SIM work is it's how do you solve for the back half of that kill chain? Well, Optics is designed to not just uh, identify when something is malicious and, and detect it so that you can respond. Instead, it wants to take it a step further and say, I know with so much mathematical confidence that this thing or these things are bad that I'm going to actually enable an autonomous action to take place in that kill chain and stop it cold. Okay, stop that process cold, kill a process or maybe identity. I'm going to rechallenge that human being, that wetware with a second form of authentication now, or just with a capture to know that they're a human versus a, a machine process that's taken over a human uh, user level account, right? So there's there's different ways you can actually autonomously take actions, and this is at machine speed. And that's the key, if, if you know, this whole conversation around predictive advantage, the word advantage, the word advantage is all about speed. Um, you know, they say that war, uh, the essence of war is speed, how fast you are compared to your enemy, right? Um, all we're trying to do is advance the clock, if you will, or be left of bang, whatever analogy you want to use, to be ahead of the attacker so that we can preempt an action to stop them in their tracks rather than wait for exfiltration to happen and the FBI calls you and say, we found all your PCI carding data uh, and now you know you have a breach. <laughs> That's detect and respond. We don't want that. We actually want to have a prevention story always in place. Correct. And, and, and that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, like I said, even when I was in the industry, one of the things that I always found sort of frustrating and perplexing was the idea that everything, everything was reactionary. And I was, you know, <laughs> so, so even, you know, 15 years ago, I was like, you know, this model can't really last <laughs> at the, at the, at the rate of growth of the, vo the volume of threats we're facing, um, you know, there's just, it's just not sustainable. There's no way we can possibly keep up with trying to, you know, reactively create, you know, a hundred thousand signatures a day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And now that signature base is ballooned to nearly in infinity. Right. Uh, and you actually, you still have technologies that will, so, so there was this idea from like, whatever, 2012 through 2015, especially in the industry where we could, as humans hunt, and we would know that something bad was in our environment because of an IOC, an indicator of compromise or a reputation-based IOC that was a static IOC, like a domain, like you mentioned, a uh, IP address, um, a signature on a malware, a piece of malware, whatever it is, it was a static kind of IOC. Uh, and there was this idea that we could take all that kind of crowd shared or collectively collected information sharing um, behemoth of data and from that, share it all in such a way that I know that if this guy got hit over there three weeks ago and I got hit today with the same IOC, now I know something bad happened. And like you said, that's still super reactionary. And worse, it doesn't scale. And worse still, it creates a ton of noise and pain. Um, you know, in a past life, before silence, I actually set up the state of California's uh, fusion centers. I helped um, architect what that, what that would look like for the fusion centers to share with their with all their partners um, when they would find an IOC across uh, one or more partners together so that, you know, a port authority or water authority might pick up the phone and call a city and say, you know, this one's really bad, or I saw this too, and, and now we're gonna go hunt for it and try to find it in our network and get ahead of the kill chain. Um, and in you know, my entire, whatever, seven months or so of working in that, the entire state had like one win 
um, that I recall, uh, you know, that I kind of was involved with. And that one win was was pretty awesome. And I, I won't really talk about what the win was, but the, the net net of it is that that one intelligence win allowed the state to refund and re-up and actually, uh, in, you know, even actually increase that program. Um, that was 2015 or whatever uh, or so, maybe 24, yeah, 2015 or so. If you fast forward to today and where we've come as an industry three years later, that entire information sharing, IOC driven, Sticks Taxi, FSISEC, MSISEC, uh, information sharing overload, human heavy lifting effort <laughs> that's error prone and latent and all the data expires in, in seconds or minutes anyway before you can ever operationalize it. That behemoth of an industry has been shrunken back down into brass tacks, which is this is what I need to know about intelligence. I need alpha intelligence. I need real intelligence. And the endpoint is the actual true litmus for, uh, I should say, nexus of where you derive your intelligence from. It's not outside in and from your neighbor. It's inside out intelligence because you need to be fast now <laughs> against today's adversaries. You can't wait for um, you know, all this information sharing to happen before you're able to do, see something, let alone do something. Right. Well, and you know, like I said, you know, I, 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 I you know, my, my plain English explanation to people who aren't in the security industry is just that, you know, the, the AI approach is essentially like having the security expert in your computer to help, to help you make those decisions because you don't have the information you need to do it. Yeah. And, you know, what I'll say to that is, um, it gives you something else too, it, you know, as an end user trying to, let's see if I can carry that same analogy through. It's like having a security expert in your computer, right? Well, it's also like having a US Marine inside your computer. And here's what I mean by that. My my father's a Colonel in the Marines. Uh, he was retired after 26 years. He's since retired. Um, and he uses this analogy of, you know, shock and awe that we're familiar with, let's say on the battle space. Um, and part of that shock and awe is like being where the enemy is before the enemy gets there. And if you think about what we've done with our predictive AI is we're, ahead of the threat, right? So when we talk about predictive advantage, one of the uh, uh, advantage plays is that we're actually um, able to decimate the entire supply chain of the malware economy. Uh, and again, for um, anybody else listening, it's not like a cyber expert and doesn't speak all these acronyms or whatever, the, the malware economy is otherwise known as dark net or uh, where you might go to crypt a binary, which means get a new version of a piece of malware that and the only reason why it's new is because it has a different hash another uh, another word for hash is signature so meaning you're just going to go um hit a button and out pops your malware that you know a 10 year old can send to their friend on the xbox network and compromise their computer or a criminal uh, uh can can use to compromise an entire environment if they you know add a payload with an nsa grade tool like we saw with Wintergray. Um, so like whatever the, the kind of use case is or criminal use case or motive, whether it's nation state or whatever else, you're up against this enemy that's able to create these pieces of malware extremely quickly. So what has silence achieved? It's like having a Marine in your computer too, because that Marine two and a half years from now, uh, you're going to have a computer somewhere in the world be hit by some piece of malware that's never been seen before. It doesn't have a signature. There's no human intelligence around it. There's no indicators of compromise. There's no tools, tactics, and procedures, and all these other funny, happy human words we use to describe the threat landscape, right? This new piece of malware is going to try to run two and a half years from now in some piece of hardware. 
And this tiny little algorithm from silence that takes up 50 megs or 60 megs and executes, you know, uh, seven files in the time it takes a human to blink their eye, right? Makes that entire determination about the entire known universe of good and bad files uh, and predict that two and a half years prior, we'll be able to prevent that malware from executing. Um, and that's such a profound thing to say that, you know, I almost had to tell myself that 30 times while I came on board here before I kind of believed and understood what we've achieved. So it's not just having a cyber expert, it's like having a Marine also on your computer with you to kind of look ahead and be where the enemy is before they get there and decimate an entire criminal economy uh, called the malware economy. Um, that supply chain is just decimated now. They're, they're totally scrambling. It's literally, if you go in the dark net and go through forums and do crawls, uh, for the keywords like silence, uh, you will, and if you go to like a fully undetectable or a crypting site and you go through the Pachinko machine of all the other antivirus vendors, the, the legacy ones that are using signatures, you might have a piece of malware that gets through all of them, but it won't get through silence, right? So um, it's almost like having that, that tire, the steering wheel protector lock on your car and the thought is, well, if the crook sees that, they'll just go to the next car. Um, at the very least, with silence, um, if people know you have silence in your environment, they're much more less likely to um, achieve success. So uh, the criminal mindset will just move to the next car. Um, so there's a lot of ways to kind of uh, analogies to describe what we've achieved, but really, it's um, I look at it like having a marine inside your computer to use your analogy, which yeah. I love. Well, that's good, um, it, and you know we'll 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 wrap up. But I wanted to to say that you know the the thing you just talked about about you know like. You know, yeah. If you have silence, then you know, then the criminal will just go. All right, well, I'm going to move on to the next uh, company or the next machine. Um, it, you know, that that is a little bit like having like you know the ADT thing in your lawn or whatever. And and, and I mean, there's a lot of examples like that. Of uh, actually, I, I used to make that example when uh, when uh, with Wi-Fi when they uh, you know figured out that WPA was not actually secure and they went on to WPA2. And everyone was like, "Well, you got to have WPA2. You got to, you got to make the switch. You got to make the switch." And or actually, is WEP uh, originally, but um, but I had said to people, "Okay, yes, it would be great if you would upgrade, and it would be great if you could implement WPA2. But in the meantime, by all means, keep your WEP if that's all you've got, because your neighbor three doors down isn't securing his Wi-Fi at all." And if I'm driving down your street looking for a network, I'm going to the guy with no security. <laughs> so like even Absolutely. even though even though I know I can break your web, why would I bother? Yeah, yeah, you know that's a what, what do we call that? I forget what we used to call it back in the day when you're talking about like the, the bad guys always take the shortest path to success, um, and you know path of least resistance, shortest path. And obviously, there's exceptions to that. You deal with things like nation states that are targeting a specific company a company looking for certain intellectual property because there happens to be a trade war going on now with a company called a country called China right so we're, we expect we anticipate that we'll see a lot of intellectual property driven campaigns coming out of China going forward especially now um, they've always been there but I think that that will um, uh, increase and in those cases uh, criminals might say I don't care if they have silence or anything else uh, we're going after that company until we get in, and they use persistence and, and sophistication to do so. Um, so, you know, we, we, we like to think that we're always ahead of all threats, uh, but that's never the case. There's no such thing as perfect security. Um, the threat landscape does involve a lot. In fact, a lot of what Silence does lately on the data science side is actually um, challenge the hacker community to learn how to break AI and learn how to break, how to defeat 
machine learning algorithms that are used to do things like uh, and, and, you know, inspect malware. Um, and because if we don't understand it, we don't understand how to break it, we'll never understand how to protect it as a, as a community. And, and not, too, not, the dear, not too far in the, in the future, we were, uh, we'll have an entire economy based on uh, artificial intelligence. And so we'll have to be able to protect those AI systems. And the only way to do that is to learn how to break them first. So we're actually proactively breaking our own AI internally all the time. Like it's a full-time um, effort at a data science level and also from a uh, outside of the box penetration tester uh, hacker perspective. Um, and so we want our system always to find out where those weaknesses are and we want the rest of the community to learn how to break these systems as well. So um, it's, it, I know it's, it's an interesting world we're heading into where we don't know one human or one company really understands all that there is to understand around protecting AIs. Uh, and we also don't understand the space around what you might call bad AIs in the future that's coming um, that actually already exist. There's, you know, AIs that are already doing much damage to the world. Um, and so how do we get ahead of all that? Well, let's get smart first and then we'll figure out the rest. <laughs> that's kind of our approach. Very good. All right. Well, um, I thank you for joining me. Um, and uh, now that I know you're uh, in the neighborhood, we should uh, get together sometime. <laughs> That's right. We're only 10 minutes away as it happens. What a small world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity as well. This has been great. So thank you. So I would like to give a quick shout out to Silence. Uh, Silence is one of the original sponsors of Techspective, and I really appreciate their support. I also think that you would really appreciate what they do. Uh, Silence is revolutionizing cybersecurity with products and services that uh, proactively prevent, uh, rather than just reactively detecting, the execution of advanced persistent threats and malware. Um, if you are not familiar with Silence, I highly suggest you learn more. Uh, if you go on the TechSpective website at the upper right uh, under Sponsors, you can click on the Silence logo and it will take you to the site. Or you can visit the site directly. It's at cylance.com. Go check it out and learn more about Silence. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.